to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to be in worship with you this morning. I want you to put on your calendar August 14th. It's kickoff Sunday where we begin the program year. Kids are back in school. It's gonna be a great Sunday. We got some special events and activities planned. This is a great opportunity to, you know, if, if you know somebody who's looking for a church family, looking for a Christian community, invite them to join us on August 14th to be a part of worship. If you know somebody who hasn't been with us in a while, give them a call, drop them a line, send them an email. Let them know we'd love to have them back. It's a great time to make uh, worship a regular part of your weekly routine. And um, we hope you, you'll find a faith family here at RPC. One of the most special ministries here at the church is our shadow ministry. It's a shadow program. Volunteers, and we're looking for volunteers where they come and volunteer during a worship service to kind of look after and watch out for some of our exceptional children. It's kids who need a little bit more um, observation. They need a little more extra attention. And this gives the opportunity for the parents of the children to go into worship and really kind of be present in worship while they know and can count on that their kids are being looked after. It's a really powerful and important ministry here at RPC, and we're looking for volunteers. So if you're interested, let me know. Um, Drop me an email, and I'll get you connected with the right folks. Well, today we continue our summer sermon series, Summer of Love. And we've been talking about what does it mean for us to receive God's love and then let that love flow out into the world. Last Sunday, Lindsay preached a fantastic sermon from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount about loving our enemies. Now, how many of you, after hearing that sermon last week, you, you had your enemies over for dinner last week? Yeah, no, I, I heard the sermon three times and I didn't either. But this is often how it is. We hear a word a challenging word, and it goes in one ear and out the other. What might it mean, though, to take kind of a theological idea and let it impact our lives? That's the exact kind of text we're going to see today from Acts 10, where the early church has to wrestle with who's a part of God's family? What has God done in Jesus Christ, and how does it impact us and our community and our ways in the world? Our passage comes from Acts 10. We'll read verses 9 through 28. Let's open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord. About noon the next day, as they, that is messengers sent from a man named Cornelius to Peter, okay, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again, a second time, 
What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house. That's where Peter was staying. And they were standing by the gate. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house, and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. And the next day he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day they came to Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And on Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him, and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I'm only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found out that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak, that you might help us see the world as you see it by your spirit. Now may the words of my, me- my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Get the leaf! <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday. Several years ago, I was at my in-law's house for Thanksgiving. And the various family members had been there all day cooking. And the aroma of stuffing and turkey and cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes filled the house. We were so hungry. And there was enough food to feed a small army. Right when we were about to sit down for dinner, a few people showed up who we hadn't been expecting. And there was a problem. We didn't have enough space at the table for them. What were we going to do? I mean, frankly, it was was got a little awkward, as we could tell that these uninvited guests were wondering if they should have shown up. And suddenly, from the kitchen, my mother-in-law begins to scream, "Get the leaf! Get the leaf! Get the leaf!" We're like, "Huh?" Someone said, I know my mom's crazy, but does she really want me to go out in the cold and get a leaf for her? You know, I'm a little bit more sophisticated than my in-laws, and I was like, I I didn't know she was into agronomy. Then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, my mother-in-law comes into the dining room with this long board. And the board is the same exact color as the dining room table. And then they open up the table, and there's a space that's the exact size of the board. And she lays it down, closes the table, and then she says, that's a leaf, Jeff. (laughs) 
And guess what? There was room enough for everyone. With the leaf, these uninvited guests were invited to the table. They felt included and welcomed. They felt like they were part of the family. That's the power of a leaf. After that Thanksgiving, I've always thought about my mother-in-law's hospitality. Her instantaneous reaction to, reaction to include these visitors who were unexpected in to the table. Let's be honest. She could have been very annoyed at the inconvenience. She could have worried that there wasn't going to be enough food. She could be, have been worried that it was going to be a disruption, that it would make the conversation awkward. But no, her response was, get the leaf. I hope, I hope I'm a get-the-leaf kind of person. Because when it comes to how groups, groups of humans tend to function, there's really kind of two ways they do it. First, there's those folks, they, they shall get the leaf. Let's make room for everyone. Come on in, get in here. You can't miss this, come on. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have the folks that say, keep the leaf in the basement. We want this group to be the way and who it has always been. We either say, get the leaf, or we say, sorry, there's no room for you at the table. And in today's passage, I believe it teaches that there is always a leaf at God's table. To understand what's happening in the passage, you have to have some knowledge of first century Judaism and the Roman Empire. In the passage that preceded the one that I read this morning, an angel comes to this Italian named Cornelius. It says, send some men to go visit Peter in Joppa. Now, Cornelius is an Italian soldier living in Caesarea. Caesarea was a seaside town, a port town on the Mediterranean Sea. Herod the Great had built it up and made it a vital port city for traders. Traders were forced to go there. And Herod the Great then would levy a very hefty tax. To be stationed in Caesarea, Cornelius had to be a trusted and skilled Roman officer. It says he was a centurion. A centurion is kind of a, a middle-ranking officer where you had a hundred soldiers that reported to you. He was known as a devout man, a man of prayer, a man who had great respect for the Jewish nation. He's what we might call today a seeker. And so Cornelius sends messengers to Joppa to go find this guy named Peter. Now Joppa sets about 30 miles south of Caesarea. And to make the story very confusing, Simon Peter is staying with Simon the Tanner. You think like everybody's named Simon in the first century. <laughs> and the house is by the sea. I just, it must have been beautiful. And, and Peter had plenty of free time because in the middle of the day, he's like, I'm going to go up to the roof and pray. And he goes up there to pray and he gets hungry. And he has the kind of dream, the kind of vision you would expect to have if you're hungry. He sees a sheet come down. And on it, there are all sorts of creatures. Animals. Animals he'd like to eat and other animals he would not like to eat. And yet God tells him to eat. 
Now, to understand why Peter's offended kind of at God's command to eat is you have to understand and have some background in the Jewish food laws. Jews had very strict rules about what you could and could not eat. Probably at the top of the list, Jews were not allowed to eat pork. It's interesting that pork was the cheapest meat in the first century. There developed a stereotype about Jews that they thought they were too good for pork. But there were a bunch of other foods that they refrained from eating as well. If you're interested, you can go read a list of them in Leviticus 11 in your Old Testament. But these food laws served to separate Jews from their non-Jewish or Gentile neighbors. Added on to the food laws, there also was a prohibition from Jews eating with Gentiles. They were set apart, distinct from the surrounding culture. They were clean. And that was unclean. But in this vision, God calls into question who Peter thinks is clean and unclean. Peter sees the sheep. Then he hears a voice saying, get up. Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Now, would you consider yourself a clean or an unclean person? Raise your hand if you think your spouse is a clean person. One, one hand, great. <laughs> one of the areas that I always cover in premarital counseling is, what are your expectations on cleanliness? Because more marriages have hit the rocks around something as simple as cleanliness and what's clean or unclean. It reminds me of a story I heard a while back. This guy, John, went to go visit his 90-year-old grandfather who lived in rural Georgia. And the first morning, John's grandpa got up and made him this fantastic breakfast of eggs and bacon and toast. And as John was eating, he noticed kind of this clear film on the plate. He goes, Grandpa, are you, are you sure these plates are clean? Grandpa says, they're as clean as cold water can make them. Just finish your meal. That afternoon for lunch, Grandpa made hamburgers. John was like, looking at the plate, and he notices on the edge, like this, like, dried bits of egg on, on the plate. He says, are you sure these plates are clean, Grandpa? Grandpa says, I told you. These dishes are as clean as cold water can get them. Now stop worrying. I don't want to hear anymore. That afternoon... It was time for John to leave, and he went out onto the porch. He was going to his car, and there his grandpa's dog was on the porch just growling and barking at him and wouldn't let him pass. And John yelled in, Grandfather, your dog won't let me go to my car. And grandpa was watching a football game on the TV. He doesn't even look. He just yells, Cold water, go lay down. <laughs> Is something clean? It all depends on who's cleaning it. What makes us clean? That's the question that presented itself to the early church. You see, initially, the Christian church was made up of converted Jews who were following Christ. They were circumcised. They didn't associate with Gentiles. And they followed the Jewish food laws. Following these rules made them clean. And if they broke one, they could go to the temple and there was a whole process by which you could go from unclean to clean again. 
offered sacrifices, paid penance, offered prayers. You see, when in the New Testament, when Jesus heals lepers, after he heals them, he'll say, go to the temple so the priest can declare that you are now clean. Because leprosy was more of a social ailment than it was a physical one. Because if you had it, you were cast outside of the community because the community was clean and you were unclean. And Peter is surprised here in his vision to hear who God has made clean. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Now, there are many ways that we humans judge others as unclean. It can be regional. Don't marry a Yankee. Don't you dare date a Southerner. It can be racial. We don't socialize with their kind. Uncleanness can be economic. The poor, those poor people, they deserve it. It can be historical. Remember what family he comes from? Do you know where they're from? There are a million ways that human beings judge each other as unclean. And one of the crucial questions that the New Testament wrestles with is who is included in God's family? Who's clean? What has God done in Jesus Christ? And how has that changed the makeup of who can be included in the family of God? Were they going to see it? Were they going to let that challenging teaching change who they are? Open themselves up? I'm always reminded of that great warning by the Christian writer Anne Lamott. Who writes, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. (laughs) It's good for us to remember. In 1996, Christianity Today named Yale Divinity Professor Miroslav Volf one of the best books of the century. It's called Exclusion and Embrace. Volf happens to be Croatian from Yugoslavia. The book is about confronting hate with love. Resentment with reconciliation. About loving and embracing the other. Those who we might consider to be unclean. In his preface to the first edition of the book, Wolf tells a little story about where all his theological ideas hit the ground. And he's giving a lecture about the themes of the book. And he writes, after I finished my lecture, Professor Jürgen Moltmann, who's a very famous German theologian, stood up and asked one of his typical questions, both concrete and penetrating. But can you embrace a Chetnik? See, he goes on, it was the winter of 1993. For months now, the notorious Serbian fighters called Chetniks had been sowing desolation in my native country, herding people into concentration camps, raping women, burning down churches, and destroying cities. I had just argued that we ought to embrace our enemies as God has embraced us in Christ. Can I embrace a Chetnik, the ultimate other, so to speak, the evil other? What would justify the embrace? Where could I draw the strength for it? What would it do to my identity as a human being and as a Croat? And then he concludes, it took me a while to answer, though I immediately knew what I wanted to say. No, I cannot. But as a follower of Christ, I think I should be able to. Who do you think is profane and unclean? God is calling you to see them as clean. 
Who needs to hear that they're loved by God, that they're loved by you? Which of you needs to hear that God has made you clean in Jesus Christ? Who needs to be welcomed into the family? Who do you need to go down to the basement and get the leaf and widen the table? Because there is always a leaf at God's table. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that there is a leaf at your table that we are invited to it. Lord, that each of us has been grafted in and included in the spirit of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you. We pray that that reality might continue to transform our own community, that more and more people might be invited to the table to celebrate the love that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.